Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks the disciples, and Peter replies, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the teacher, the healer, the Lord of the water, the maker of bread enough for everyone. This Jesus is called the Messiah by an awestruck Peter, the Messiah, which means the new Moses, the promised one. It is a breaking point in the story if you're just reading through Matthew on your own, a scandal to anyone who might have heard it. If there is a Messiah, what happens to the leaders of the day? How are the children of Israel to act towards Rome, who is the empire under which they live? Will they revolt? Will they be free in their lifetimes? Did Peter just say the quiet part out loud? Jesus orders him to tell no one. And then they turn in Matthew to the grim walk towards Jerusalem where Jesus will die. But in this moment, in the part of the story that we read today, it is like the dawning of hope. You and I can be something other than conformed to this world, those disciples must have been thinking. We have the promise that we can somehow be transformed, renewed to a much greater knowing, a remaking of what we believe is possible for us. We can be hearts and souls flooded with the Jesus possibility, this new Moses for us. Now, we Americans know a lot about Moses, and that's not true for every country that hears this reading this morning. But because of our Christian heritage and our history of enslavement in this country, we have Harriet Tubman called Moses, Harriet Tubman who literally walked her people out of slavery, Martin Luther King Jr. called Moses, forging a way out of the legacies of enslavement for black Americans, who we remember this time of year on the anniversary of the March on Washington, celebrating its 60th anniversary. Let that sink in, please. 60 years ago, it was August 1963, that was celebrated yesterday, and it is the anniversary tomorrow, that MLK stood up to say those words, I have a dream, 60 years ago. And we read today from Exodus, the origin story of Moses, whose power Peter claims for Jesus in Matthew. And listen to the parallels in the story of Jesus and Moses, and enjoy the beauty of the literary form of your Bible. Now, we have been reading those really long first readings, and thank you to everyone that's had to do it this summer. All the patriarchs and matriarchs, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, and their many children. And most recently, Joseph, the one sold off into enslavement by his brothers, and that is the key, sold off by his brothers and through his cleverness and God's mercy, finds himself powerful in the court of the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of the vast empire of Egypt, and the people of Joseph are no empire. They are a family. Joseph finds himself in a position to save his brothers and their families from death by hunger, and they would have died by hunger if he had not been in the court of the Pharaoh to save them. And he has had a dream to store grains in a time of plenty for a time of famine. 
he saw the famine coming in a dream. And so his people come to Egypt to be safe under the authority of the abandoned brother. But today, where we pick up the story, Joseph and his generation have passed. And somehow the court of Pharaoh is worried about this people, this family that is thriving among them. You can imagine how it happened. It's probably exactly like politics or gossip in our time. Someone got offended or was cheated, the pettiness of one person feeding the paranoia of another person who has an idea. It seems as though it has always been easier to get people worked up about a threat than it is to get us excited about something good that we could do together. And we know about threats this week in Georgia. A president of the United States was indicted here for attempted election interference, resisted by a Republican governor and secretary of state. We have news this morning of a shooting in Jacksonville yesterday, racist in motivation, a terrorizing that feels a lot like 1963, like the story we just revisited in Hainville, Alabama. The issues on the table are still the vote and access to education, employment, and protection from violence. And there have been threats here, and you all know this happened in the last election, at Crossroads, because as many of you know that volunteer in the mailroom, know that people use that address as their address. It is the only one they have. And you all help with that, we all help with that. And if they are to register to vote, that's where they would do it, which produces a lot of registrations at one address, which is one of the things that people are quite nervous about these days. This is all very, very close to us. Rumors of threats, so much like that time long ago, a people brought here now flourishing, potentially threatening, some say. And so the Pharaoh calls in the midwives, it says. What an interesting way to approach this. And do note how the heroes in this story are Shifra, Pua, Moses' mother, the Pharaoh's daughter, and Miriam. Shifra and Pua are the head of the midwives. The scholarship of people like Dr. Will Gaffney say there must have been many, many midwives for this vast people, vast enough to be a threat to the empire of Egypt. So today we hear of the women in charge of that guild, and did you hear them? The Hebrew women are so strong, they say, we cannot harm their sons, even if we wanted to, they're gone before we can do anything. How clever, how brave. And did you hear Miriam, that name that sounds so much like Mary? Did you hear that she could not leave her brother and so hid to watch? And how long did she watch? Did she sleep there? Until the Pharaoh's daughter herself finds the rough basket with the baby, the basket of papyrus and pitch and bitumen, the stuff of the enslaved, in the hands of the most powerful of the land, whose exquisite artifacts you and I can still go to museums to see. That slave child approaches the princess and says, I know of someone who can nurse him. What nerve! to approach the daughter of the one who has proclaimed that every Egyptian shall kill all baby boys like her brother. What gall to assume that she will want to help save this baby and offer her a way out, an illegal way out. And in her consent, little Miriam weaves back together her broken little illegal family. This is the story of Moses his way out of no way, even before he can stand or speak. 
the fine heritage of the friends of the living God that will accompany him and haunt him every day of his life. This Moses that will lead his people out of slavery to freedom and whose name is invoked every year at the Passover, including in those years that Jesus went to Jerusalem for that festival and in our time in our neighborhoods. Peter says to Jesus, you are the one. The power of the living God to free us is in you. There is an idea in studying these texts that we can draw some through lines through the Bible. You can choose the story and the thread that you follow. You can take creation in the beginning, the spirit of God hovering over the deep, those waters, and God said, let there be and there was. You can find the water of creation throughout the Bible, the creating and recreating stories of water, and trace the action of the living God through to today and this water. You can imagine how you might consider living waters, destroying waters, water journeys of transformation. Noah's Ark, the papyrus basket, the nave of the boat that floats above our heads right here and now, the same story. You can do the same with the breath of the Spirit, Ruach, the Word, the Holy Spirit, through to Revelation. You can do the same with the liberating, freeing power of God. Am I my brother's keeper, Cain cries out, and the vast silence is the thundering yes of the universe, yes. It is God asking, where are you in the dark night of the garden? Where are you, my friends, Adam and Eve, whom I have made for fellowship with me, as they are already turning against one another? And so there must be a liberator for us, a savior, to return us to ourselves, our right relationship to our God, to one another, and to ourselves. The living God made knowable for people like us. The way of God made action in your life and mine and in the ordering of our days. Now you will hear from me for years that I like to use the ING words for God. We stake our faith on the ING of God, living, breathing, freeing. God is not only the ancient idea that we cling to and inherit, and yes, the ancients are wise and instructive for us, and God is with us, we say, now, we know. Peter says it today, I am imagining with some awe. Peter has had plenty of rebuking from Jesus and is about to get some more, but he says it anyway, like those bold and brave midwives, like that fearless Miriam, like Mary herself, who consents to the wildest of propositions. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Food like manna in the wilderness, seas that calm at your command. Could it be that we will be free in our land as well, in history, in real time? Will David's kingdom be restored today? We, the church, are founded upon this one truth claim, that Jesus is the son of the living God, and we will proclaim the power of that truth in our lives, we say. Harriet Tubman, by picking up a rifle and taking people to their freedom, Martin Luther King Jr. calling upon our government to do right by the descendants of the people who built this land with their labor, promised a justice that is yet to come, like a Moses in the court of Pharaoh, driven by the living God to recklessly demand a justice with no earthly power behind him. 
Our presiding bishop, John Hines, stood up on behalf of the Episcopal Church as shareholders of General Motors in 1971. 1971. It made the New York Times. He declared that apartheid in South Africa was immoral. And he declared it to launch the corporate engagement to boycott the apartheid government of South Africa in 1971. A folly at the time, a dream. The biblical through line we are tracing today is to Jesus. Peter draws it. I have to pause and think about it every time I read it. Peter doesn't say the new Adam or Jeremiah or the new Abraham, the new David or the new Joseph, and they are all worthy. Peter says the new Moses. So listen carefully as we hear the story of Moses in the upcoming weeks. Let's listen for what Peter was saying about us, the church. What Jesus claims is the foundation of the church over which the forces of hell have no power because we are that church of that little baby in a woven basket, the heart of his mother in those watery reeds, raised up to free his people from enslavement. With us today in these most troubled and perilous times, the living God acting through small bodies and inconsequential gatherings like ours to lead all people to freedom, whether we want it or not, this God alive desires it for us and has made us for it, you and I, forgiven, healed, and free. Amen.